Um, take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Philemon. Um, Philemon, and somebody asked me after service last Sunday night as we began studying this really, really brief one-chapter epistle. They said, is that how you pronounce that? And I said, I, I don't know. I just kind of make it up as I go and hope nobody um, notices. But Philemon, how, how many of y'all are Philemon people? How many of y'all are Philemon people? What, what, else, what else do we have? Philemon? Philemon? I don't know if you're French or whatever. Um, so take your Bible and turn to the book of Philemon. Um, and we're going to begin reading in verse number one. Now, as we started this journey through this uh, little letter last week, I, I began by telling you that when I was a kid, I was a Civil War nerd. But when I was a kid, the other great passion of my life was wrestling. And I've told you that before. And it wasn't, you know, like high school wrestling. It was real wrestling, like professional wrestling. And, uh, well, it's real to me. And so I uh, loved, loved, loved wrestling as a kid. Never, never missed it on Monday nights. Loved everything there was about wrestling. In fact, so much so that I'm trying to talk Amy into letting me dress up like the Macho Man Randy Savage for our church fall festival. And so I need, I need some of you saints to covenant together with me in prayer that God would make a way when it doesn't seem like there is a way. Amen. Now, but if, if, you, if you listen to people that know pro wrestling, when they talk about pro wrestling, they will tell you that for all of the lasers and for all of the drama and for all of the swinging chairs and for all of the fireworks and for all of the thousands in attendance, that the most important person in the ring is not the guy slathered down in baby oil in spandex. The most important person in the ring is the referee. Because the referee, of course, he's in on the thing, right? And the referee has an earpiece in his ear. And from behind the curtain, the producers are telling him, you've got one minute to commercial. And so we need to wrap it up. And we need to go home. The referee is the one who controls the action. The referee is the most important person in the conflict. Now tonight, some of you probably feel like it's been your God-given mission in life to be the referee in other people's conflict, don't you? You feel like you are constantly being pulled into somebody else's fight. That relationships all around you are just constantly blowing up and people are always trying to pull you into their side of the argument. And people are always trying to say, well, let me tell you what happened and here's why you need to see it my way. And you feel like God has given you the ministry of being an umpire. And you just are constantly throwing flags and constantly blowing whistles as you try to babysit people that can't seem to get along. Tonight in our passage of Scripture, that's very much the role that the Apostle Paul has to play in the book of Philemon as he is the arbitrator, the mediator, in the conflict between Philemon and his runaway slave Onesimus. And so last week we talked about Onesimus, who was a troublemaker. This week we're going to talk about Paul, who plays the role of referee, who plays the role of peacemaker. And what I think this chapter is going to teach us, this, this little book teaches us from Paul's perspective, it teaches us that we can be peacemakers. When we look at conflict, and we don't try and take sides, and we don't try to take over, but we try to take people to Jesus. Instead of trying to take sides, 
or instead of trying to take over, if we take people to Jesus, then we can bring peace in the middle of conflict. Let's read this book together. Philemon verse 1. The Word of God says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever." No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. If you were with us last week, that I began introducing to you to the characters and the plot of the book of Philemon. <clears throat> and you've got Philemon, who is <clears throat> a wealthy man, a citizen of Colossae, faithful man, the church meets in his house. But as a wealthy man, who has a home big enough for the church to meet in, he's also a slave owner. And one of those slaves is a man by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus has made a break for it. Onesimus has had enough. And Onesimus has said... I have got to get a taste for freedom. And we don't know if Onesimus just made a break for it suddenly one day. Maybe it was a bad day, at the end of a bad week, after the end of a bad month. And <clears throat> Maybe Onesimus told one of the other slaves, I'm going to go grab a cigarette real quick and never came back. We don't know. Or maybe Onesimus planned. Maybe he coordinated schedules. Maybe he had help on the outside. And maybe... When the day finally came, Onesimus just slipped away and he was gone. But we do know from our text, in verse number 18, that when Onesimus ran away from Philemon, that he took something or some things that were valuable. Maybe he stole some jewelry. Maybe he stole a credit card. We don't know what he took. But he took something that he could use to finance his newfound and ill-gotten freedom. And so Onesimus wants to blend in to the crowd. 
And so he goes to the big city, either to Ephesus or to Rome, depending on exactly when this letter was written. And he starts to spend his money. Not too conspicuously enough to you know, be noticeable, but he's blending in and he's living the good life. And then somehow, while he's going on his merry way, wouldn't you know it, he runs smack dab into the Apostle Paul. Philemon's old friend, an old ministry partner. And somehow, Paul and Onesimus begin to talk, develop a relationship. Paul ends up... And leads Onesimus to the Lord. And then Paul begins to hear the story of how Onesimus is a runaway. And how Onesimus has cheated Philemon. And Paul begins to imagine how frustrated Philemon feels. And how aggravated he is. And how cheated he must be. And then Paul knows what he has to do. Paul has to be a peacemaker. He has to come between these two men. Help them come together and help bring healing into a broken relationship. The Bible says to us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, the sons of God. And what the Apostle Paul's doing is he's acting like a son of God in the book of Philemon because he is helping bring two people together who ought to be at each other's throats, two people who ought to see their problem from totally different perspectives, two people who are not going to agree and who are not going to get along, Paul says, I want to do the work of God, and I want to bring you together. Now, have you ever been stuck in the middle of a conflict like this? The details may be different. The names are certainly easier to pronounce. But we've all been in this situation, haven't we? Where two people that are at each other's throats are trying to kill each other, and they're trying to climb over us to get there. And the burden falls upon us to be the peacemaker. How can we be peacemakers that show the nature of God in conflict? Well, first, I would tell you this. We can do that when we are not afraid. When we are not afraid. And I sense here that the Apostle Paul is not afraid because Paul just jumps right in, doesn't he? I mean, wouldn't it be easier for Paul to say, okay, listen, this is not my fight, it's not my slave. Not my problem. This ain't my monkey and this ain't my circus. I'm staying out of it. But the very existence of this little bitty letter proves that the Apostle Paul is not afraid. That he's eager to jump in and say, I want to bring healing and I want to bring help when I'm able to do it. But how often is it the case that when there's conflict around us, what do we want to do? I'm just going to stay out of it. I'm just going to let y'all fight. Y'all might kill each other and I'll come mop up the blood when you're done, but I'm not. Stepping into it. But the Apostle Paul says in verse number 3, in the greeting of this letter, he says, I hope that you have grace and peace. And those were common greetings in the ancient world. Grace was the common greeting in the Greek world, and peace was the common greeting in the Hebrew world, still is in the Hebrew world. But for Paul, it's not just that he means this in a generic way. It's not just that he means this in an empty way. But he genuinely wanted the people in his life to live at peace with one another. Do you want the people in your life to live at peace with one another? Do you want them to have harmony in their relationships? Do you want that enough to step into a broken relationship that isn't your fault and isn't necessarily your problem? But will you say, I want to make that my responsibility to help bring healing so that these two people can live in peace? Or do you just want to be left alone? I mean, I can understand Paul saying, just please leave me out of it. Like, Paul has enough going on in his life, right? Didn't you notice how he referred to himself in this book as a fellow prisoner? Paul is in jail. And I'm sure he had a lot of free time in jail, but 
You could find other more thrilling things to do in jail. Do crossword puzzles. Don't try to mediate other people's problems. But Paul said, no, the right thing to do is to step into conflict and to help heal it. And you might be surprised how often you would find in the New Testament the Apostle Paul stepping into conflict to help solve it. The Apostle Paul writes the book of Galatians because the church of Galatia is experiencing conflict along ethnic lines between Jews and Gentiles. The Apostle Paul writes probably the book of Ephesians and the book of Romans to some degree to deal with that same kind of conflict. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the church of Corinth is fighting and arguing about anything and everything. And the Apostle Paul writes to bring peace and resolution of that conflict. In the book of Philippians, in fact, take your Bible and turn back there with me real quick. In Philippians chapter number 4, Paul writes to a healthy church, but that does have some conflict. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse number 2, and the Apostle Paul is going to address this conflict. He's not going to ignore it. He's not just going to pretend like it doesn't exist. But the Apostle Paul is going to address it in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 2. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Two ladies in the church that couldn't get along. That seems so unlikely, doesn't it? But evidently what they had done is they had a bake sale at the church at Philippi. And Sister Euodia, she brings her coconut cake. And she shaved that coconut. And she's made her own icing. And she's made this recipe from scratch, her grandmother's recipe. And she's so proud of that. But then Sister Syntyche comes and her icing's out of a jar. Her cake came from a box. Her coconut was frozen. And wouldn't you know it, her cake got more money. Some of y'all went laughing. But whatever's happened, there's jealousy, there's division. Something has occurred. Paul steps between these two ladies. He says, agree in the Lord. Then he involves somebody else in verse 3. I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The Apostle Paul wants them to have peace. And so the Apostle Paul is not afraid. We can only make peace when we are not afraid to step into these difficulties and to bring resolution. But second tonight, we can only make peace when we are not partial. So here's a pop quiz. Here's a pop quiz. In the book of Philemon, who's right? Who's right? Now, Onesimus has broken the law. Onesimus has stolen from Philemon. It's hard to justify that. Nobody likes a thief, do they? And even thieves don't like to be robbed. Nobody likes a thief. It's hard to justify that. But Onesimus, who was a thief and a runaway slave who broke the law, he robbed from his slave owner. Surely if you've been working for years without any paycheck, it can't be that wrong to rob your master, can it? Who's right? Who's wrong? We know the Apostle Paul doesn't take sides in this passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul's impartial. He's not biased. He doesn't come at this and say, all right, Philemon, this is your fault, and here's why, because you're a terrible master. 
And he doesn't come at this and say, Onesimus, okay, you're wrong because you stole. Even though it does seem clear that Onesimus is the one who's engaged in sin here. But the Apostle Paul refuses to be drawn in to either side. Let me give you some counsel tonight. Don't let people pull you into their side of an argument. Now, it's easy to do that, isn't it? Because what we tend to do is we tend to either, A, agree with the first person who comes to us and presents their case and their side of the argument, or we end up, just for some reason, agreeing with the person in the argument that we like most to begin with. Funny how that happens, isn't it? But here's what the book of Proverbs says. The book of Proverbs says that we should be careful when we hear a matter. In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 13, if you'd like to turn your Bible there, Proverbs chapter 18, and I think you should see this in your Bible because you may just... You know, you may not believe it. It's in there that the Bible deals with this. Proverbs chapter 18. And verse number 13 says this. Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. If one gives an answer before he hears, renders a verdict before they know the whole story. If one gives an answer before they hear, is their folly and shame? Verse 17 of the same chapter. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. That's true, isn't it? The person comes at you and they're all mad and they're all fired up and they've got their evidence and they've got tears in their eyes and let me tell you what so-and-so did and let me tell you why I'm mad about it. You're going to be drawn to that person to believe them. But the Bible would want you to remember that the truth is usually bigger than one person's side. And we should be careful to want to hear the whole truth before we are drawn in. So the Apostle Paul refuses to be partial. He refuses to take sides either with his new son in the faith, Onesimus, or with his long-standing partner in ministry, Philemon. He says, I'm not going to be drawn into either side. So I'm going to point both of you to Jesus. And because Paul refuses to be drawn into either side, Paul can tell things to both men that would have been uncomfortable to them. He can tell Onesimus, Onesimus, you need to go back home. You need to go face the man that you robbed. I bet that was a hard conversation to have, wasn't it? Onesimus, you've got to do the right thing and you've got to go eat some crow and you need to go apologize. And he's also going to write in this letter to Philemon, he's going to tell him not only to welcome Onesimus back as a brother in verse number 16, but he even kind of gives a subtle hint that, you know, maybe he should, um, maybe he should let him free, make him free. That's not an easy thing to say to somebody, Philemon. Let him go. Let him live his life. Let him be free. But because Paul is not partial, he's able to say things that make other people uncomfortable. A lot of times, we get drawn into conflict between other people and we're quick to take a side and we're not able to actually share the truth with people that need to hear it. Or we're afraid that we'll hurt somebody's feelings, which as Baptists we think is the unpardonable sin, right? Did you know that nobody has a right not to be offended? Anyway... We're afraid to hurt somebody's feelings. We're afraid to tell somebody something that will make them uncomfortable. We're afraid that anybody anywhere would ever be mad at us. And so we don't tell people things that they really need to hear. Right? We won't tell somebody, Brother, I think you've got some anger in your heart that you need to work through. Sister, I think you might be struggling with jealousy. Brother, I sense that there's a deeper issue. What's really happening? We're afraid to have those conversations. And so we're never really able to bring resolution because we're partial. Right? Because we don't want to hurt people. Because really deep down we really love us. 
and our comfort more than we do the other person. But Paul is not partial, and it's not because he loves one of these guys more than the other, but it's because he loves both of them in Christ. And he says, I'm not going to take your side because I love both of you, and so I'm going to do what's best for both of you, even if it makes both of you a little bit uncomfortable. And so the Apostle Paul says we can make peace when we are not afraid. And we can make peace when we are not partial. But Paul would also say we can make peace when we are not skeptical. Paul believes that Philemon is going to do the right thing. He believes, you can see it in verse number 16, verse number 17. He believes that when Onesimus comes crawling back, and when he repents to Philemon and when he apologizes, Paul says, Philemon, I know you're going to do the right thing. I know you're welcoming back in your home. I know you're going to welcome him not just as your slave, but as your brother in Christ. And I've got a good feeling, Philemon, that you're going to let him go. Now, listen, there's nothing in the law that says Philemon has to do that. Nothing in the Roman code of conduct that, it, that would put that burden on him. There's nothing in the culture that would pressure Philemon to do that. In fact, everything would pressure Philemon to punish Onesimus, to uphold their civil structures. But Paul says, Philemon, I feel like you're going to do the right thing. It's easy when people are at each other's throats to get real skeptical in a hurry, isn't it? To see people fighting one another, to see people being petty, and to see people acting like middle schoolers, and just to think, man, they're never going to grow up. They're never going to get it right. But the Apostle Paul refused to give in to that skepticism. You know why Paul did that? Do you know why Paul believed the best about these two brothers, even when these two guys may not be at their best? Do you know why Paul believed the best when they were not at their best? Because the Apostle Paul believed in the power of the gospel to change people. The Apostle Paul believed that the gospel could come to him, a Pharisee, on the road to Damascus and humble him. And he believed that the gospel could find Onesimus as a runaway slave and reorder his life to bring him right to the feet of the Apostle Paul. And he believed that the gospel could transform Philemon to birth forgiveness inside of his soul. And so because Paul believed in the power of the gospel, he said, guys, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to be skeptical, but I am going to believe that God may be redeeming this conflict for his glory. Do y'all believe that God can take situations that are ugly and conflicts that are nasty and redeem them for His glory? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can take situations that we would want to run away from and use them to bring beauty into the world? I mean, this principle is all through the Bible, isn't it? That just because something is ugly does not mean it can't be beautiful. Y'all, it was ugly. When Joseph's brothers threw him in that pit. But God in his grace made that into something beautiful. It was ugly when Ruth and Naomi buried their husbands in Moab. But God made that into something beautiful. It was ugly when that lady lived with that issue of blood for 12 years. But Jesus turned that into something beautiful when she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And y'all, it was ugly at Calvary. But it sure was beautiful three days later when the Lord Jesus conquered death forever. And if our God is a God who turns what's ugly into something beautiful, then he can do that with them two ugly people around you that are trying to kill each other. And that's what the Apostle Paul believes, that just because it's ugly right now doesn't mean it can't be beautiful later. And so Paul says, 
Guys, I'm not skeptical. I believe that God is at work. In fact, let me give you, let me give you a pro tip. It's a weird thing that happens to people spiritually. Because we are sinners. Y'all know that. And you know from your own experience that we fight God's work in our lives, don't we? Sometimes when people are at their meanest, sometimes when people are at their nastiest, sometimes when people are at their worst, that's because God is doing His deepest, most intense work inside of them. And as God is digging deeper, they're fighting it harder and harder and harder, and they'll lash out against you. The Apostle Paul says, hey, I'm not skeptical, because God's grace is greater than my sin. God's grace is greater than Onesimus' sin, and God's grace is greater than Philemon's sin. But I'll say this finally today, because I know you want to buy some cakes. We can make peace when we are not stingy. And this is a good place to end right before we have a bake sale. We can make peace when we are not stingy. Look at what Paul says to Philemon in verse number 18. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Philemon, if he's cheated you, if he's stolen from you, whatever he's taken from you, I'll pay it back. I'll make it right. What Paul does in the book of Philemon is remarkable because he's not manipulative. He's not coercive. He doesn't just give a command. I mean, he could have, right? He could have written the book of Philemon on a fortune cookie. Philemon, take him back and do the right thing. The end, Paul, right? But he doesn't do that. What he does do is he lives out the reality of the gospel, and he says, I will take the debt into my person to make it right so that my brother can be welcomed. This is a man who believes deeply in the healing power of grace and the healing power of forgiveness. If you want to be a peacemaker, if you want to be a peacemaker, and you're never more like the Lord than when you make peace, if you want to be a peacemaker, you're not going to be stingy. You're not going to be stingy with your time because you're going to be involved with messy situations. You're not going to be stingy maybe with your finances to make something right like the Apostle Paul tries to do here. You're not going to be stingy with your emotions because your emotions will be stretched. You're not going to be stingy with your thoughts because your mind may be But you're going to give of yourself the way Paul does here. And the way Paul does here is remarkably Christ-like. Because what Paul does in this passage of Scripture, in the book of Philemon, is he, on the one hand, identifies with the sinner, Onesimus, and says, I'll stand with him. And he also identifies with the one sinned against, Philemon. And he says, I will stand with him. And do you realize today that Jesus is both the God that we've sinned against And the God who became sin for us. So that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. And Paul says, that's the way I'm going to bring healing. That's the way I'm going to bring resolution. I'm going to show people the grace of God in the gospel. Even though they do not deserve it. Now I'm going to tell y'all. I don't like conflict. I like wrestling, but I don't like conflict. You know what I'm saying? And most of us don't. Most of us would think that if you do like interpersonal drama and relational conflict, there's, you need some medicine of some sort, right? There's probably something off balance in there. But it is part of life, isn't it? It happens. It happens in all of our relationships where people around us are at war within one another and we're like Sweden, neutral country, caught in the middle, and we think, what do we do? 
What you do is you bring Jesus to those people. You don't try to take sides. Don't try and take over and just start bossing out orders. Show people the grace of God in Christ. Because that's how God healed your broken relationship with Him. And it's how He will heal broken relationships between one another. Let's pray together tonight. And then we'll get everything ready for our bake sale and we will uh, get to it. Father, there's somebody here this evening that even though it's no fault of their own and they certainly would not have chosen it, Lord, they're involved in a messy relational situation and they need help being a peacemaker. And I, I don't know if anything I've said has helped them, but Lord, you can help them. I pray you'd help them to be gracious, to be wise and to be patient, to give them the wisdom to know when to listen and the wisdom to know when to speak and what to say. God, help us, like Paul, to show Christ in all of our relationships. When we're sinned against, help us to forgive. And Lord, even though Jesus certainly never sinned or needed forgiveness, Lord, he was humble. Help us to be humble when we are wrong and to seek forgiveness, trusting that God forgives us. Help us to be a people of the gospel, to show grace to those that need it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Bless the remainder of our time together tonight, and we pray for Christ's sake and amen.